0: Well, hello, hello, and welcome to the iFormerX podcast, where we explore the evidence that informs ambulatory care pharmacy practice. This is Stuart Haynes, and I'm the editor-in-chief of iFormerX. Thanks for joining us today and engaging in this professional development activity. In today's podcast, we're talking about continuous glucose monitors, or CGMs, and the role they can play in the management of patients with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. It was about 20 years ago that I got to see my first continuous glucose monitor. And and at that time, the devices were kind of clunky and were intended to be used for very short periods of time, typically 24 hours, but sometimes 48 hours. And the information was really intended for clinicians to use to make decisions about insulin dosing or to help distinguish between the Don phenomena or a smoji effect when a patient had unexplained elevations in their morning blood glucose readings. Needless to say, the technology was pretty expensive and the indications for its use uh, was pretty narrow. Uh, so I didn't get to work with CGMs very often back in those days. But boy, times have certainly changed. Today, CGMs are much cheaper, far more compact and discreet and primarily intended for consumer use as a tool to help patients and their caregivers make better decisions, N- not just about medications, but also analyzing the impact of food and exercise and glycemia. Uh, but while the technology is certainly much better, it's not perfect and it's not for everyone. Some ambulatory care practitioners work with patients every day to help them select and use a CGM wisely. Uh, But even if getting patients started with a new CGM isn't part of your job or your practice, I think every clinician should have a working knowledge of this technology because their use is so commonplace today. And that's why I've invited one of our iFormerX editorial board members, Dr. Don Fouquet, and one of her colleagues, Dr. Brianna Potosini from the Providence Medical Group in Portland, Oregon to write a summary of the top 10 things every clinician should know about continuous glucose monitors. And joining us today is a very special guest for this podcast. And that's Dr. Jennifer Trio from the University of Colorado, Skaggs School of Pharmacy and Pharmaceutical Sciences. And Jennifer has been an iFormRx author and was one of the peer reviewers for this top 10 summary. So, Brianna, Don. Jennifer, it's great to have you on the iFormerX podcast today.
1: Hi, Stuart, and thanks so much for inviting us to be involved in this topic. Happy to share my experience since I use them really in, commonly in practice.
2: Thank you, Stuart, for having me back again. Yeah, thanks, Stuart, for having me. Great to be here.
0: So, I'm going to address my first question to you, Jennifer, uh, to get us started. I'm wondering if you can give us kind of a, a brief overview, a brief summary of the different types of continuous glucose monitors. There are several different options available in the market today, and I'm wondering if there are any major differences in the technology.
3: So, right now, there are really a handful of CGM products available. They all work pretty much in the same way, measuring the interstitial glucose level consistently throughout the day. But there are some differences in terms of their look and their feel, how they are used um, and the features that they have, such as low glucose alerts, the wear times, uh, the compatibility they may have with smartphones or smartwatches, or their integration capabilities with insulin pumps. I compare them in a few different ways. First is personal versus professional CGMs. So personal CGM systems are just that. They're those that patients have for their personal use. So you wear the device and the glucose levels are measured continuously and then transmitted to a receiver, a smartphone, or another compatible device. The person can view the glucose trends receive alerts for low blood sugars, and use the glucose data to make decisions on things like insulin doses. Um, Personal CGM systems can be categorized as either flash systems or real-time systems. Real-time systems are those that continuously transmit the glucose data to the receiver in real-time, whereas the flash systems require the patient to scan the receiver or their phone over the sensor to obtain that stored glucose data. Professional CGM systems involve patients wearing a CGM device provided by their healthcare provider's clinic for a short period of time, say, 7 to 14 days. Patients return the device to the clinic, and the clinic can then download the data and review it with the patient to identify patterns and make treatment decisions. Professional CGM systems can be either blinded or unblinded. So, the blinded option means that the patient won't see any of the data during the time they're wearing it, which may actually yield a more realistic picture of the patient's typical patterns and behaviors. The unblinded option provides that real time feedback to patients on their glucose levels and trends and really gives them a good feel for what it would be like to have their own personal CGM.
0: Well, Brianna, I think some people will be surprised to learn that CGMs don't need to adhere to the same standards, the ones set by the International Organization for Standards, or ISO, that traditional glucose monitors must meet. So what can patients and clinicians do to ensure they're getting a monitor that provides, quote, accurate results? Yeah, so the, the continuous glucose monitors that are currently
1: available on the market do have to meet strict criteria. The FDA has very specific criteria in order for it to be an integrated CGM or used for insulin dosing. One example of their criteria is that overall glucose readings have to be within have to be more than 87% of the time within 20% of the reference value. So they are still having to meet criteria. It's just not specifically set by the ISO. Um, Additionally, there's international consensus around goals of the mean absolute relative difference or MARD of less than. 10%. 10%. And, and evidence has shown that further lowering beyond that level had, did not really have significant additional benefit in terms of safety or efficacy of insulin dosing. So that's why they set it around that. And it allows for comparing of systems and their accuracy. Um, so to kind of know what that is, so the MARD is the average of the absolute error between the reference glucose and then the CGM value. So lower the value, the closer it is to the reference. Um, And most currently available systems have a MARD that's within 8 to 10%. So beyond choosing one that's been FDA approved, the other things that are important in ensuring accuracy is making sure they're being used as approved. So there can be interfering substances, there can be places that the sensor should be um, on the body, and if they're not used in those, they may be less accurate. I'd also highly recommend doing finger stick blood sugars anytime the symptoms don't match the CGM because there can be variation within a lot, which can also happen with blood glucose meters. Additionally, if it can be calibrated, the CGM shouldn't be calibrated when the the glucose is changing really rapidly as calibration outside of a really stable level can really actually worsen the accuracy. So some of it is choosing a system that meets the criteria that you want, and some is in using them in
0: the way they are intended. Uh, So traditionally, when a patient uses a glucose monitor, we recommend target glucose readings before and after meals. So for example, for many patients, a clinician might recommend a target fasting glucose in the morning of less than 120 milligrams per deciliter. But when using a CGM, the goal of therapy is quite different. With a CGM, the patient gets so much more data throughout the day, and we often set time and range or TIR targets. So Dawn, can you explain a bit more about a TIR and how it's calculated and how the information can be used?
2: So the time and range or TIR is defined as a percent of time That the glucose readings are in a specific target range, which for most patients is set at 70 to 180 milligrams per deciliter. It correlates with an approximate A1c. For example, a TIR above 70% often correlates to an A1c of 7% or lower, and this is usually over a 10 to 14-day period. In patients who meet criteria for less stringent A1C goals, a time in range of 50% or more correlates with an A1C of 8% or lower. So when we have patients who are elderly, have other comorbid conditions that, um, or hypoglycemic unawareness or frequent hypoglycemia, we often will set the time in range to be a little bit lower to that 50% until we can... Um, stabilize them and make sure that they're not at danger of having hypoglycemia. Additionally, the target range may differ depending on the patient. So for example, the target range for pregnancy is 63 to 140 milligrams per deciliter with a goal time in range of 70% or more. So this time in range of 70% or more actually would correlate with a lower A1c because the target range is lower. While there are other aspects of the ambulatory glucose report that provide estimates of glycemic control, I find that the time and range is very relatable for most of my patients, especially as they become more familiar with the daily activities that influence glucose levels. And also for, as you mentioned, Stuart, because the range is broader, it's important for patients to understand that the average glucose that they would see in an ambulatory glucose report can be higher even though their time and range is set at 75%, for example.
0: So Brianna, in the top 10 article you wrote, provides some really great advice on how to manage skin problems associated with CGM use. And what are the most common problems seen in practice? And what advice do you give to patients on how to manage them?
1: So the most common skin problems I see with CGM use is one, keeping the sensor in place for the full session or sensor adhesion. And then on the other side is having any irritation or itching while wearing the sensor or even upon removal. Um, So for the adhesion piece of it, it's using products that can help it to adhere better, whether that's an under the sensor, liquid adhesive, or if it's an over-the-top patch to help keep that sensor in place for the full seven to 14 days, depending on which sensor you're using. And then in terms of sensor irritation, patients can have where it feels like it's really itchy underneath the the sensor or it's feeling red or or just kind of generally irritated. If that's due to while you're wearing it to allergy or any friction, um, then the most common thing that I actually recommend is a topical steroid. And due to cost and ease of use with sensor, being still able to adhere for that full session, I most commonly recommend a steroid nasal spray that's allowed to dry completely before you you put it on. But other topical steroids can certainly be considered. And if it's really related to removing the sensor causing some trauma, then it's more about how to remove that adhesive with something like mineral oil or other products that, that can help it to come off more easily. And you can see in the article, um, more information about different types of products that could be used for some of these
0: issues as well as others. So lastly, I wanna wrap up this episode by talking a little bit about who is a good candidate for CGM. When is this technology really worth it? And I think perhaps uh, Dawn, And Jennifer, you might have slightly different perspectives on this because you work in different clinical practice environments. I'm wondering if you could tell us a little bit about your practice environment and also um, when you consider using CGM for your patients.
3: Well, this is Jen here, and I work in a diabetes specialty clinic. So I've got a population of pretty complex patients with both type 1 and type 2 diabetes. With a variety of private insurance coverage, a lot of Medicare, a lot of Medicaid as well. And I actually think that almost all patients with diabetes could benefit from CGM. But to prioritize, I'd say that absolutely all patients with type 1 diabetes and those with type 2 that are on intensive insulin therapy should absolutely have access to CGM technology. We know that it can improve. Glucose levels. It can improve time and range, decrease hypoglycemia. Um, I think anyone with frequent hypoglycemia, hypoglycemia unawareness, or significant glucose variability, um, those those patients are also high on my list in terms of who should have access to CGM. Then you've got patients who uh, are finger sticking frequently and are finding it difficult to do so or painful um, to do so, and then those that would or could be motivated by glucose data to make behavior changes. Knowledge is power. Seeing 24 hours of glucose data instead of just one fasting glucose finger stick in the morning is just mind blowing and can be incredibly useful to combat therapeutic inertia, to recognize the impact of behavior related decisions that folks are making day to day.
2: I have seen the effective use of CGMs um, decrease insulin requirements and improve lifestyle modifications and quality of life for both patients with type 1 and type 2 diabetes. Using the CGM has really increased their engagement and their motivation for a lot of my patients who have them, especially because they don't have to do a finger stick to check their glucose and they have extra information in between times to allow them to see how their insulin, how quickly their insulin works or how a different type of food or physical activity affected their blood sugars. I think what has really helped is that ordering a CGM has become easier as we've seen looser insurance requirements for patients with type 2 diabetes, um, where oftentimes now we're seeing that they qualify for a CGM, on only basal insulin and the GLP-1 or metformin. And this is mostly seen in the commercial population, um, in some Medicare Advantage plans. It's not gotten to the um, Medicaid or even straight Medicare as, as such, but it does make things a little bit easier for patients who have the benefit of that insurance. Something to really think about, though, is that there's still a cost component. So insurance coverage, even within the same insurance um, company, the, the coverage varies widely by plan. And the majority of patients, while they will use their smartphone as their CGM receiver, there are some patients who have phones with older software, they don't have a smartphone or just have some difficulties using a smartphone, and they do need to pick up a separate receiver. And in those cases, I've seen some of the copays for that one-time receiver be quite high, and it's actually affected their ability to get their complete CGM components because they need, obviously, the receiver as well as the sensors and sometimes even the transmitters. And so if the CGM requires a separate transmitter, that is also another copay for some patients. And like I said, the insurance coverage varies widely with some patients having Practically no copay for their sensors, but have higher copays for their transmitter. I don't fully understand why that is, um, but it is something that can be prohibitive to patients. I think it's also important to think about what types of accommodations may need to be made for some patients. So I mentioned earlier, some patients are not very technologically savvy. They may need help determining whether or not a family member or a caregiver can help with changing the sensors because there's some practical changing of the sensor, syncing it up to the receiver to make sure it's actually uploading information. And for some patients, that's a lot of instruction for them to wrap their heads around. In some of the CGMs, an intermittently scanned CGM, the patient does have to remember to periodically scan the sensor so that that information is transmitted to the receiver. And if a patient is very forgetful and they don't scan it regularly, then there's data loss and gaps in their CGM report, which makes it a lot harder for us to determine um, the effects of their life, their medications, and so on on their glucose. Um, I think that as the technology continues to advance
3: and the price continues to become more competitive. I think access you know, will follow and will continue to improve. And I think this really provides a big opportunity for pharmacists to talk to patients with diabetes to see if CGM might be a good fit for them.
0: Well, Jen, Brianna, Dawn, I think this is awesome. Uh, I hope our listeners will check out the article, Top 10 Things Every Clinician Should Know About Continuous Glucose Monitors, which we posted on the iFormRx website. The article goes into so much more detail about some of the key things that every clinician should know, and it's, and it's written in a clear, concise, and easily digested format. Be sure to log in and leave comments. If, if you're using CGMs a lot in your practice, give us some of your practical tips about how to identify patients who'd be good candidates or practical tips among CGM use. Remember, only iFormRx members can leave comments and use the interactive features on our website. If you are not already a member of iFormRx, be sure to sign up today, and it's free for health professionals. And by the way, for those of you who are board certified ambulatory care pharmacists, this podcast and the article on CGMs will be available for continuing education and board recertification credit through the American Pharmacists Association's board prep and recertification program. So click on that link posted below the article on our website to learn more. And lastly, I wanna acknowledge and thank Chen Yuet from the JPS Health Network in Arlington, Texas, for being a member of the iFormerX advisory board and an enthusiastic supporter of our work. Cheng has been an author and a reviewer and a recruiter, and she always offers great ideas on how we can reach more people during our editorial board meetings. So thank you so much, Cheng, for being an iFormerX super user and supporter. Well, until next time, this is Stuart Haynes, editor-in-chief of iFormerX, signing off. Be safe, my friends.